Some of us are old enough to remember the days of reading applications on actual pieces of paper, dragging U.S. mail bins full of files to and from the office during an era when accumulated extra letters of recommendation would actually take a physical toll on admissions counselors. Now, however, everyone in admissions, I hope, has moved to something involving reading applications on a computer. And not just reading, but managing every aspect of our relationship with students from the moment they agree to share their information with colleges they're interested in, all the way through to their enrollment with us. Increasingly, there is really only one company that does this. It's called Technolutions, and the product is called Slate. And I talked with founder and CEO Alexander Clark. Welcome to The Crush. Okay, let me pause right here and acknowledge the absolute horror show that is happening along our southern border at the hands of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Department, or ICE, at the direction of Jeff Sessions, Christian Nielsen of the Department of Homeland Security, and President Donald Trump. It separated over 2,000 children from their parents cruelly, unnecessarily, and traumatically. This represents my worst fears about this administration coming true, and we should all be beyond outraged. So if you want to help, I can recommend donating to Raices Texas, that's R-A-I-C-E-S Texas.org, where your donation will help provide free and low-cost legal services to immigrant and refugee families in Texas who are going through this. Again, that is Raices Texas.org. Okay, so welcome. I'm Davin Sweeney. I'm a college counselor who talks to tech entrepreneurs who are changing the game in admissions like my guest today, Alexander Clark, founding CEO of Technolutions, whose most stunningly successful product is known as Slate. And this is episode 25. Holy cow. Um, that's We've come a long way. It feels like a big deal to me, and I'm so thankful to those who listen to it and share it around like uh, Jillian Greenspan, Assistant Dean of Admissions at lovely Hamilton College in upstate Clinton, New York, who came and introduced herself to me after my presentation at the uh, New England, New York State uh, Association of College Admissions Counseling Regional Super Conference a few weeks back at the Marist campus. It totally made my day. Uh, I have some semblance of an understanding that people actually listen to this show, but man, it was cool to meet a live one. So thanks, Jillian. And thanks to the rest of you who do tune in. Welcome if you're new. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. Guys, I finally did the software update. And man, they make it so easy now. The stars are in in the iTunes in the little podcast app. The stars are right there. They're begging for you to click them. Um, grab your friend's phone. Do it for them. That way we'll head right to the top of the charts. Okay, my goal here is to be the... Uh, Cardi B of admissions podcasting. Help make my dream come true, guys, please. Thank you very much. Okay, so this might be like the zillionteenth time I've said something like this, but to all the true crush heads out there, shout out to Jillian. Apologies for the distance between episodes because, well, something kind of weird happened shortly after I interviewed Alexander, and that is that I got a new job. That's right. I have moved to the other side of the admissions equation here and took a job as the director of college counseling in the New York City office with the renowned college counseling outfit, CollegeWise. I hope to have more on all of this for you at some point, but I did want to make it clear that the vantage point from which I'll be sharing my uh, absolutely critical insights here has changed from the college side to the student counseling side. So I'll miss Rochester a ton because in 
most ways, it pretty much taught me everything I, I know. But I'm thrilled with my new job, and I can't wait to report to you all on the things I'm learning from over here, and especially reconciling them with what I used to do over there, as it were. So in the interest of full disclosure here, this interview was conducted while I was still in the employ of the lovely University of Rochester. Okay, so what is Slate? Personally, this is the thing that occupied most moments of my life for about 18 months or so back at Rochester because I was the guy in my office responsible for plugging this system into our our operation with the help of Jen, Ziad, and Tanya. Let's give credit where credit is due here. Miss you guys. So during this time, I learned acutely how much of the admissions operation can be supported by Slate. So here's a hypothetical life cycle of a student's relationship to our our system. We, we upload the names of kids that we buy from the college board after they take uh, the PSAT. We set up email campaigns in our system saying, hey there, check out our college and add your name to our mailing list. Uh, we notice that a student opens that email. We encourage them to roam our website and we can see how much time they spent on which parts of our website. We set up events and encourage them to attend events like high school visits and interviews. Let's say the student meets us at these events or visits campus. Well, yep, we've logged that too. The student ultimately applies and we can then show them the status of their application and the name of the admissions counselor assigned to their territory. We can read and take notes on your application. If we want to take into account that you visited with us on campus or at a college fair or interview, we can see all of that while we're reading the application. We can make our final decision and then send you the notification. And if it's an admit, we can even program digital confetti to rain down your screen. We can then take your money, that is your non-refundable tuition deposit, and then you're in. It's over. So there are 9 trillion additional functionalities within the Slate system that are constantly emerging. In fact, this is arguably the high point of the annual Slate Summit Conference that draws thousands of people from hundreds of colleges that use Slate. The summit which, by the way, uh, is happening this coming Wednesday, June 27th, in which Alexander and I discussed in the interview. And yet it strikes me that most people on the non-college side of this process have no idea what it is. Everybody knows about Naviance, which is used on the high school side. But my experience has been that the reverse is surprisingly untrue. High school folks may have heard about it, but knowledge of it usually ends there. And perhaps there's some measure of ignorance, in fact, being bliss on this account. But um, if you're listening to this, then my guess is you ain't no... Blissful idiot, you're here for the knowledge. So let me shut up and let's learn about it. I talked to Alexander from the top floor of the office building, which houses their offices overlooking Yale's campus in New Haven, Connecticut. Or was there a haven in England? That is well, there is a there is a West Haven, there is an East Haven, right. there is a North Haven, which is a town that I live in. It's just 15 minutes away. All of them havens. Uh, but no South Haven. Uh, but that's because that's Long Island South. Yeah. So. Okay. That'd be tough. live in South Haven. Right. But once you guys do that, like, tech thing where you just break off and create a water world, you know, that's like <laughs> its own thing like they're going to do in San Francisco, then you can be South Haven. Yeah, exactly. In, you know, Long Island Sound. Right. What do you think? Who knows? Uh that I well I, I'm counting on this. There's a reason we're on the top floor here. Uh, mm. We do have lower floors as well, but uh, those will eventually be f- all this will be waterfront. Right, those will be f- the first to go. Yes, those exactly. short-sighted people on the on the bottom Indeed. floors. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, cool. So I have a lot of questions for you. I'm interested in talking to you about Slate because um, well for a lot of reasons, but I think that it's 
becoming known, as I'll get into, by entities that are not Slate customers. But I think it's like the technology that governs or rather impacts college admissions that is sort of the least known by <laughs> people in the world. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. that, that it's not a naviance as we'll get into. I've got some questions about that. Mm. But, you know, um, so this is sort of, I mean, it's fascinating for a bunch of cultural reasons and all kinds of things. But um, so we'll get into those. But just to get started, what is Slate for the uninitiated, for people that are turning this on, that are listening to it and saying, what's the big deal? So Slate is... A CRM system. I wouldn't have originally described it as a CRM. What CRM stand for? I can mean a number of different things. Everything from customer relationship management to constituent relation man, uh, relationship management. But the idea that you are amassing data on all of those with whom you are interacting to enable you to better serve those uh, interactions. Uh, and so it allows a team of people, be that a school, be that a sales office, uh, to be keeping track of all of the different interactions they're individually having, but also uh, letting them be much more intelligent uh, about how they communicate with folks. So Slate, though, in general, I mean, it what it does is it, it tracks the sort of lifetime of a high school student relative to a college from the first point of interaction that they may have with a school with a college that they're interested in applying to all the way through to reading the application, getting admitted and enrolling, right? Sure, that's absolutely right. Uh, and one of the interesting things is that that relationship oftentimes begins before the student has ever directly engaged with that college or university. So many, most colleges and universities will purchase search lists. Uh, so when you take the SAT or the ACT, those organizations are then turning around and remarketing the names and contact information to schools uh, so that those schools can begin communicating can begin burying students in brochures, right? <laughs> uh, there certainly is a lot of uh, print and electronic collateral. But Slate is different, that it engages prior to that. Yes, yeah, so it's those AI engagements uh, will occur from the moment that they are either purchasing search lists to begin building up profiles on individuals, but also when they're spending time on their website or they're registering for an event uh, or the school is, the college or university is visiting a particular secondary school uh, and they're meeting with students at either a, a, a school visit or at a college fair or an information session, they're wanting to record those different touch points along the way. Why? Uh, it uh, serves a number of different uh, factors. One is just simply that a college can't be everywhere. Uh, and if they can be tracking which schools are delivering them applicants, delivering them admitted students, delivering them ultimately students that enroll, there certainly is a great deal of utility in knowing where do you perhaps uh, return. But also being able to measure this demonstrated interest uh, along the way so that a student that is showing a lot of interest and engagement with that institution from an early stage, that could be enough to potentially for some institutions maybe uh, put them ahead of another student that hasn't shown uh, any sort of engagement or interest with that campus. I have some questions further down the road about this concept of demonstrated interest. It's a hot topic uh, in our line of work and it's something that Slate is, I think, uniquely concerned with. Um, 
your entire system is pretty much set up to give people the option or not to to actually sort of track this demonstrated interest. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. But backing up even, how did Slate even come to be? Like, I understand you were just a crazy college kid here and <laughs> out the window here at the Yale. And then now you're here, right? So Technolutions, which is uh, the, the company behind Slate, right. I had founded when this I was This is the in- name that is on the giant... Uh, sign on the top of this building. Yes, just a, a 40 foot wide sign. Yeah, you can major. see it from <laughs> Hartford. <laughs> just about, and it lights up at night. Cool. Uh, as well, yes. Uh, that's when you know you've made it. Did you have you to have get special sign. permits? To, yeah. uh, we did, actually. I would imagine. Uh, yes. Uh, you can't just put anything up there and shine lights on it. <laughs> precisely. Uh, it's backlit, actually, so you don't even have to shine a light onto it. It's out of it. Fantastic. Uh, yes, so uh, Technolutions was founded when I was in seventh grade. Uh, uh, sure. I, yes, uh, as one does typically sure. between math and English class. Mm-hmm. And it... Uh, was my father uh, uh, now retired was a lawyer and where, so are, you, I, where are you from? Uh, Mississippi. Okay, uh, Jackson. Fantastic. Uh, so. My dad spent a semester at Tougaloo College. I'm oh, no kidding. Um, yeah. He was. I, I like to refer to it as his semester abroad. <laughs> uh, he actually is from. I'm from Portland, Oregon, and uh, he's a. Uh, uh, he he was from there and and was you know sort of an exotic admit at Brown and decided to take a semester and go to this HBCU in Jackson, Mississippi mm. called Tougaloo. Like one day I hope to go back and visit. I've never been there, but yeah. So you're from Jackson, Mississippi. Yes, indeed. You end up at Yale. Yeah. But uh, before that, you're seventh grader. Yeah, seventh grader. So that's when I was doing enough consulting work at the time, uh, technology consulting that. At I seventh thought, grade? Yep. Uh, You're well doing that, technology consulting. Uh, that started more uh, formally in fifth grade. Uh, but then I was sure. doing enough of it by seventh grade that it made sense to incorporate and have a stronger legal entity. Who are the people that are hiring that. a fifth and seventh grader to do their uh, technology <laughs> consulting? Well, what's fascinating is that technology was, uh, and the internet and networks were much more in a, a state of infancy uh, than I obviously they are today Mm -hmm. and because there wasn't widespread technical talent throughout the the country let alone Jackson Mississippi uh, it opened up a lot more opportunities for a fifth grader that I might not have otherwise had how'd you get introduced to this I mean the internet was new I mean you're more or less I think and I are more or less the same age and I remember when the internet was sort of invented and I I mean not quite invented but you know became a popular phenomenon and I, I mean it was uh, it took me a long time to figure out what the point of it was. <laughs> well, I, I've always had an interest in technology from uh, requesting from Santa Claus when I was three years old, a typewriter. That was my introduction to the QWERTY keyboard. Uh, and then began more real programming in about first grade. Yeah. Uh, and then it just snowballed from there. And your folks, obviously, you know, I mean, were supportive of this, but... I don't know. I'm just fascinated by the fact you realize this is not normal. <laughs> uh, it's I uh, yes I I I'm on the cusp of being a millennial. I I, I like to think I fall on the the side that isn't a um, millennial at least in the I I've never had avocado toast. Uh, okay. So perhaps I really don't qualify uh, on that end. But where I've had now really the same job uh, for not just my entire professional life. But my entire professional life really began uh, at a very early age. Uh, and the first product for Technolutions was a student information system for my then middle school and high school to keep track of grades and attendance records and uh, all of the sorts of types of data uh, that colleges and universities are keeping track of now. How long did they use it for? 
Uh, so they used it while I was a, a student there. Uh, and then eventually after I had graduated, it got phased out mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just as. So they humored you for a few years. <laughs> yeah. OK. And then how come this how did this be, turn into like an admissions thing? Yeah. So then when I uh, came up to uh, Yale as a freshman, I didn't want to take any computer science classes. I thought I'd been doing enough of that extracurricularly. Uh, and so I was almost trying to stay away from the idea of business. I thought college is a time to do college things. Uh, but one of the things that I started uh, in September of my freshman year was an online uh, website organization, sort of a My Yahoo, but for Yale. So it had ride boards and managed the student elections and had an online radio station, an online television station, and a lot of different cool things uh, to that. And so I thought, okay, I we had great adoption. I think it was about half the campus using it within the first month uh, of its existence and using it on a daily basis. Because this is pre-Facebook. This is pre a lot of It sounds like a internet. much less mean the Facebook, right? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like an actually productive sort of community uh, uh, product. Yeah, it was to uh, have, it had everything from dining hall menus to uh, a master calendar so that you didn't have to run around all the different physical flyer boards on campus. You could see things in one place. Uh, and so it was less about the the sort of friend-to-friend social networking uh, relationships and more just about creating a community space uh, for Yale. Uh, but I saw with uh, Yale Station, uh, as it was called, uh, that 25% of the student body left every year mm-hmm. uh, because the seniors would graduate and new freshmen would be coming in uh, to take the the spots there. And so I, I realized, well, okay, if I want this to really continue to thrive, instead of needing to I market it and try to introduce folks uh, to it as freshmen when they arrive on campus each year. Wouldn't it be great for them to have a familiarity before they ever arrive on campus? And that's where I thought the admissions office. Uh, So I reached out to the folks in uh, Yale undergraduate admissions to pitch them an idea of having a an online version to their recruitment weekend uh, which is called uh, Bulldog Days. So having been from Mississippi I had come up for Bulldog Days uh, to New Haven but there were many people that were admitted that weren't able to make it or once they were here they didn't have uh, photo galleries because no one had digital cameras. Uh, they weren't ubiquitous like they are today. And thought, wouldn't it be great to have really an online representation uh, of this? And so it started with that for Bulldog Days. And then it grew into visit scheduling and it grew into all of these other things, but where it was strictly a volunteering uh, activity uh, there. But Slate was being born uh, at that time without perhaps me being aware that that's what was happening. And how many clients do you have now? Uh, we are working with 700 colleges and universities. That's a lot. I mean, I, I want to say that's like, a little bit. <laughs> you, is, that, is, that, is that growth exponential? It really has been. Uh, we're, because I want to say when we came aboard roughly a year or so ago, we were somewhere south of 400. Sure. Uh, we onboarded uh, more than 200 colleges and universities within the past year alone. That's nuts. Uh, so, And one of the things that I tell people is that this is like, you know, Every single college I tell like high school counselors, like, every single college that you're telling kids to apply to more or less is using Slate now. And they have no idea. Yeah. I mean, they're, getting, they're going to, but they have no idea. <laughs> Why do you think the product's so popular? I mean, you guys ended, yeah. you know, you entered a pretty crowded marketplace. I mean, I think there were, there were a lot of uh, solutions to um, this problem of, you know, admissions 
sort of CRM software, like what did you guys do right? Yeah, I, I think that there's several things that we focused on that perhaps weren't uh, the, uh, the centers of attention for some other organizations. Specifically, we've cared a lot about the experience from the, the beginning. And that's really meaning what is it that we want admissions offices uh, to be experiencing? What is it that they want to be uh, interacting with? So instead of taking this approach where we go and design something and hope that people will use it or that it will resonate with them, we were very, very good listeners early on. And we've tried to remain exceptionally good listeners today. So instead of trying to need or needing to know absolutely everything uh, about the world of admissions, it was good that none of us had admissions backgrounds initially because we didn't know anything. Uh, we simply listened to what schools were saying, hey, if we can solve this particular problem, uh, and then it became something else that they wanted to solve or to make their lives easier. And so that's, that's something that I think has helped tremendously. And also just this idea of breaking down silos. Uh, technology can make a process more efficient uh, in many ways, but sometimes technology creates inefficiencies of its own, that they have an email tool and that's separate from how they have students registering for events and that's a separate product from something else. And that you aren't necessarily making the lives better for admissions staff uh, because their lives are now split between so many different systems. And with Slate, we've tried to bring all of these different activities together so that we're not trying to be something for everyone on campus, but in this world of higher education admissions, trying to uh, help them manage absolutely all that they do. You talked about the experience and, you know, hands down the sort of most, um, the biggest experience that one can have, I think when it comes to Slate, besides actually being a user and, or, or, you know, a client and implementing it and stuff, which is, which is an experience. Well, I'm not gonna lie. As a Slate captain here who has been, you know, embroiled in it for a year. Uh, but the, the biggest thing is the, is the friggin' Slate Summit, man. <laughs> I mean, I think only like Burning Man gets people more hyped. Uh, yes, so we don't have any body the, paints just yet. Not yet. I mean, I'm, I'm, stay tuned. I don't, <laughs> don't spoil any the surprise here. Okay. Um, I mean, you. It's wild how excited people get for this. I've only been once, and you've had how many now? Uh, we just hosted our our fifth uh, at the last summer, and we had two thousand attendees. Right. So I mean, this thing. I mean, just you know, it involved like I'm. I'm I can't even. I mean, it's there were like big giant sailboats, cannons going off. Like, t talk to me about the energy there and why this is like such a cultural phenomenon for people. Like, why do they get so excited about this? Sure. Yeah, so the the, the summit is a, a special event uh, that we, we host. Uh, one of my childhood dreams had always been to either be the producer director of a Super Bowl halftime show or the Academy Awards or some live spectacle and event. And as I've learned uh, over the years, it turns out it's like one guy who does all these ones, like the Olympic opening games. And so if you want to break into that field, it's a tough one. Uh, but the summit, we get to have a lot of fun with it. And what makes it truly so special is that it's schools, uh, colleges and universities that are sharing really their proprietary discoveries openly with one another. That this is fundamentally different than so many commercial environments where uh, companies that might be going to a conference would be guarded uh, about what they want to share. And here you have colleges that are being appropriate 
appropriately collegial. And they are talking about what works well, not just from a technology perspective, but from a process. Uh, how is it that they, they can help to uh, inform and educate others and how can they be uh, informed and educated by that. And so there's a tremendous amount of good content sharing uh, that occurs there, uh, but also where we try to make it a lot of fun because folks that are working in admissions offices are uh, quite often very gregarious types that they, they like to be uh, in these social settings and environments. And so we, we've tried to craft uh, a, a setting that is both very safe and private so that it's really restricted to members of this community so that they can be very open and have uh, these open conversations with one another, but something where they get to see all of their friends uh, because people do move from one school to another. And one of the other things, too, that's kind of nice about it is I think that there's, you know, because a lot of places that house their slate operation, their admissions office, but a lot of people places do it in their IT sure. uh, departments, too. And, you know, this is like, a, I mean, I, I, I mean this with in, in only the most loving sense, but this is like IT people kind of get to get out. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that they have found this tribe of people, right? And that there's all of this stuff, like this sort of a lot of customizability within Slate, as you're mentioning, you know, that gives people the opportunity to kind of show off their chops a little bit, right? Sure. When it comes to their IT-ness. Um, and, and I think that this is really, you know, I mean, it's, it's nice for people to be able to kind of come together around their ability to do that. And then also it's, I think, at the end of the day, in service to kids. Yeah. At the, right? I mean, I, oh, absolutely. Yes. So the, the event certainly is a nerd fest <laughs> uh, in that it's not lost on me that mm -hmm. this is not Burning Man, <laughs> that it can have an aesthetic of Burning Man. But yet we're talking ultimately about software and admissions uh, technologies and processes. Yeah, I believe, I don't know for a fact, <laughs> but I think there are fewer drugs involved. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. But there's, you know, the probably the most interesting feature of the thing that I witnessed was this coding party, Alexander. Uh, what is that? How would you describe this to the casual observer? Uh, we're, we've introduced a new name for it this year, uh, uh, despite some of the, the advice of my colleagues. Uh, but every now and then one has to exert uh, one's position. So we're now calling this Slate After Dark, just because I've always wanted to have an event called Slate After Dark. Okay. Uh, but it's a coding party where uh, it began as a very impromptu thing at our, our first summit and then has become a little bit more uh, institutionalized. But we're starting around 10 or 11 p.m., so after the main party, uh, has concluded. People are uh, good and liquored up. Good and liquored up. Uh, meeting uh, in the hotel bar, uh, and it grew from maybe where it was 20 or 30 people the first year to a couple hundred uh, this past year, all lining up on the escalator to get a sort of spectator view where I, along with some of my colleagues, are live coding new features. So people would shout out new ideas that they have. And instead of taking them through a traditional development process and sending them out through an annual release, building them on the fly right there and then launching them the next day. And so we launched about 25 or so uh, new features as a result of the coding party this past year. This has got to drive your staff crazy, though, <laughs> because they have no idea what just happened. And now there are these new features and they have no idea how to support it. Yeah, that's but that's part of the the uh, the goal of any sort of an agile release process is that we don't want to even presume to know how something's going to be used. Our approach to development is that it's better to get something out uh, in front of people earlier on 
so that they can begin using it, begin providing feedback. So instead of needing to go and re-engineer something from the beginning, you have a very, very active communication cycle where the folks using it are truly partners in the development process. So you're talking recently, too, uh, about bringing a new constituency into the fold. I'm thankful that you recently you know, sent your latest update about Slate.org to coincide with this uh, interview. So I appreciate that. I'm glad we could work that out. Um, Slate.org being essentially, I think, more, I mean, I'll have you describe it, but it's to me it looks like something that will um, sort of face the high school side, the counseling offices, and provide them with a free resource to sort of manage a lot of the college admissions stuff via a Slate platform. Is that more or less the case? Uh, That's exactly correct. So uh, all of the colleges with which we're working, they, of course, are turning around and working with the roughly 50,000 secondary schools in this country and uh, abroad. And so they are having very regular interactions with the school counselors at these uh, secondary schools, from school visits to uh, reaching out to them to say, we need these additional materials for these different types of students. But it was very siloed. Uh, Each school was needing to handle this very independently. So if they had a school portal uh, for school counselors, then if you wanted to go to Yale's, that was different than Harvard's, was different than any other institutions. And what we are uh, approaching with Slate.org is something that is entirely a free service. It will forever be a free service. We don't want any piece of it to ever be revenue generating in any sort of way. Uh, We want to help to equalize the field so that all of these secondary schools, regardless of whether they are an independent or a charter or public system school, that they can have uh, a much more robust way of uh, exchanging information with uh, colleges and universities. How can you afford for this to be free? Uh, we've done very well on the slate proper side uh, with colleges and universities, and part of what Uh, life is about is not simply having a company that desires to make money in every possible location. Uh, There's a reason that in our now 18-year history of Slate, no school has ever seen a cost increase of any kind. We've never raised our prices once. Uh, As I joke with folks, the cost of milk has gone up, but the cost of Slate never has. And it's true that you've never lost a uh, client once you've signed them up, right? That's correct. 100% retention rate? 100% retention, and that's not rounding up. How much of that do you think is because it's actually a good product and how much of it do you think is because people just don't want to go through the process of implementing <laughs> something else? Yeah, it's. I, I think it's uh, certainly something where we value the relationships that we have with absolutely every school. And we allow in their contracts them to terminate at any time for any reason without any penalties. So we don't want the contract to be the reason that they are using Slate. We want them to want to be. And so our incentives are completely aligned with theirs. Uh, in every way. And while there is certainly a process to implementing any new tool and to changing and evolving your business processes that you have, and an organization doesn't want to sort of willingly go through that uh, many times over, uh, oftentimes Slate is the first system that they are using, but quite often uh, it is the second or the third or the fourth uh, that they have gone through this process with 
uh, other organizations before. So while we may not always be there first, uh, thus far at least we've been there last. Mm -hmm. Is this catching on with school counselors, the Slate.org uh, idea? Yes, yes. It's We were uh, a, a little bit late to the game on the school visit side. Uh, as we were uh, introducing it at NACAC, uh, that was right as school visits were wrapping up. Uh, but now we've launched our counselor portal uh, where colleges and universities can opt into sharing just the information and data points that they want to. So it is purely within the institution's control as to what they want to share. Uh, but they so colleges can, can share information back to the counselors. So arguably this is when, you know, counselors are, are not having to, you know, chase down their kids to be like, did you finally submit the thing I told you to submit? Did you do, you know, like th this kind of thing? Or? Absolutely. So they can see what checklist requirements are uh, outstanding. They can submit documents directly through this portal. They don't have to go to separate portals for different institutions. They can handle all of this in one place. And then they can also see if the schools are releasing this, the decisions that have gone out to students uh, and or the decisions if once they've been viewed by the student or uh, after a certain number of uh, days have passed so that the counselors can have this feedback uh, and a lot more information to help them inform their own recommendations to students going forward. So last year at the summit when this was announced and boy was it announced. <laughs> Okay, uh, people were encouraged to step outside of the enclosed space in Chicago's, uh, what's it called? The um, a Navy Pier. The Navy Pier, right? There's a giant screen. There was a f movie that played, okay, featuring you and staff members. Uh, as I mentioned before, cannons were fired from a, a, a giant sort of clipper ship. Uh, there were people in shark costumes, okay? And this was all to announce Slate.org. Yeah, so it's your normal corporate event. Cla exactly, <laughs> right. Um, and I, no kidding, like shortly, probably even before it was even over, I saw, and again, this is when drinks are being served. Uh, I saw one enrollment professional whom I know was near me but not with me scream, Naviance is dead. <laughs> so a lot of I mean, this makes sense to me. And I think a lot of people that are looking at this at this effort saying, you know, looking at Naviance and saying, um, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of, of communications about it not working, about it being problematic. Recently, it came out that they are going to shut down their operations internationally. It seems like to focus on their domestic efforts. Naviance appears to be in trouble. It's not free. It's quite expensive. What's your reaction? Sure. Uh, it's Slate.org is evolving month by month, uh, just in the same way that Slate did. Uh, so it's something where I wouldn't say that it is an immediate drop-in replacement for all of the functions of uh, a Naviance or other platforms uh, today, but certainly based upon the feedback that we're receiving from school counselors about what they want it to be. We don't want to simply build a system in the image of something else. Uh, we want this to be built in the image of school counselors. We want them to have the voice uh, in this. And it's something where if the school counselors can be more productive and that helps the colleges and universities, this is a win-win all the way around. 
Are you looking at Naviance and the features that it provides and trying to at least match the, the those features that counselors find to be the most useful? Or are you taking a different tack, which is to not even consider the concept of Naviance and just listen directly to counselors about what they want? We're going straight to the counselors. Uh, it's something that we've done with Slate on the college and university side that we never went to look at other feature lists or to say, let's just go and try to emulate this particular feature. It's something where we have... Uh, both on the school counselor side as well as on the college side, just an exceptionally active user community uh, where we have folks that are very, very willing to tell us exactly what they want it to be. And because we have never employed this concept of charging for new features or functionality, there's never that typical burden of, well, why would I suggest this if it's going to cost more money? Once you remove that barrier, then uh, organizations are exceptionally willing to tell you exactly what they want it to do and not do. Well, the I mean, I think Slate.org makes a lot less sense in a world where Slate is less ubiquitous among colleges and universities, right? I mean, we talked about the degree of growth that's going on. Um, but it's interesting to me, I mean, when you kind of play this out to its logical conclusion, everybody in the world, more or less these days, and increasingly so, is submitting their application and all of their activities relative to the admissions process being tracked within Slate. Um, you've got a lot of middlemen between Slate and the student and counselor and parent experience. A giant one that I can think of that hasn't been mentioned in addition to Naviance is the Common App. Uh, you know, I know that that's a giant task that a lot of Slate users have to, um, you know, on the high school side or rather on the, on the university side have to have to deal with this sort of to map up, you know, the common app fields with the with their instance, right, with their Slate fields to make sure that all the information comes through. Um, wouldn't it be easier for people to just sort of submit an application directly to Slate and skip the common app? Sure. Uh, well, the Common App, I think, provides a, a wonderful service to their member institutions. And that's true of the coalition and other organizations that I uh, have those out there. That Slate doesn't have to be everything to everyone. There are certainly institutional application capabilities within Slate. But what we find is that even things that one would expect to be completely uh, unified throughout uh, institutions, there is a great degree of variation in what they want to capture on applications. There's a reason that there is the member screen on the Common App where a school can go and ask all of these different things. You would think that the Common Application, the core part, would have enough questions on it. It's about 2,300 data points. Uh, that that should be more than sufficient for every institution. But yet every institution wants to capture beyond that. And so I, it's something where I don't necessarily see institutions ever wanting to uh, agree on exactly one application and never have any modification. No, but in fact, I mean, you know, one of the things that you that we've been talking about already is the degree of, you know, and you mentioned you use the word agility, you know, that that uh, Slate has and that its users have to change it up, you know, to to customize the experience for themselves and for their users. Um, I know that one of the reasons that the coalition formed is because of basically a lack of ability to do that within the context of the common application. It, I think, uh, suffered some fairly severe mission creep uh, along the way. But in, in essence, that was the that was the response. 
Yes, it's I, I what I've heard uh, described is just this notion that the the world needs a certain degree of competition in whatever the field may be. Uh, that you don't want to force everyone into one particular system or environment. That there is a balance that can be uh, helped along, and certainly the the coalition can help to provide another option. Uh, be it ones where schools want to be collecting information through that means, or something even where particular applicants may feel that the types of questions or the format of questions that the coalition and application is asking maybe allows them to better rep- represent themselves to an institution. Maybe. <laughs> it's tough. Well, I, I think it's a challenge. Uh, whatever I the say format as, a, as a member yeah. institution. Well, you think uh, so many institutions now are the small private liberal arts colleges. They're receiving five, six, seven thousand applications uh, applications per year. Then you've got larger schools that maybe once upon a time received fifteen thousand, now are receiving thirty, forty, fifty thousand applications. They're big publics that are receiving a hundred thousand uh, applications, and whatever that form may be, uh, it's it's awfully challenging to be able to. I uh, read enough into someone uh, to be able to make uh, decisions, and it's quite admirable what admissions offices uh, seek to do uh, with this because there are so many different touch points. That's why we're seeing much more an incorporation of things like digital portfolios, uh, where students can be expressing themselves not just through the, the typical essays, but also through new media items, digital videos and audio and other formats. Has um, anybody tried to buy Technolutions from you? Oh, constantly. About five to ten LinkedIn messages that I received to that effect per day. Uh, And we don't respond to any of them. Uh, We very much appreciate that uh, we get to uh, accomplish the things that we do because we're taking a very non-traditional business path uh, in that uh, we are firmly committed to remaining independent. We've never had any debt or financing of any kind. It's something that we uh, can have this existence. We can uh, operate in largely a, uh, we'll call it a, a financially independent way, uh, where we don't have to think how does this particular feature need to make money. Uh, we can do things because they're right, not because they need to pay a certain bill. That's weird. <laughs> it's not unlike an endowment that a university might have. It's fascinating. I think it probably, you know, really uh, a lot of people don't trust it because it is not the norm. You know, and people like I think, you know, for instance, I'm sitting here asking you about this conspiracy theory to swallow, you know, the common app and Naviance. You know, <laughs> meanwhile, you're just uh, arguably, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see if you're, I don't know if you're, you know, feed me a line or not. But, you know, you're just trying to do the right thing. Right. You know, and you're not a you know, necessarily profit driven. You just want to keep the keep the doors open so that you can you can continue to innovate. Yes, accurate. Uh, absolutely, we are very much a mission driven organization, uh, and one where the a lot of the other aspects, everything from scaling and growing, we've been doing that for so long that that can operate to a degree on autopilot, and that it's a very familiar thing for us. 
And where we are focusing a lot of our efforts is around how we just continue to do good in the world. So one of the things, uh, for example, that we're doing, and this is as a completely separate project to uh, Technolutions, but we've started a 501c3 nonprofit organization where we are uh, starting an elementary school in Connecticut. This is a nature-based K through six elementary school that will have, when it reaches full enrollment, uh, We'll be starting with a couple of grades and then adding a grade each year, but it'll be 70 students on 25 acres as a nature preserve. Uh, and really taking looking a look at education at that early, early stage, this early childhood. And you've got young kids. Yeah, I do have young kids. They uh, might even go to the was school, an inspiration. Huh? Well, there's an admissions process, so they're going to have to apply. Uh, they know a guy. Uh, well, uh, it's uh, I'll see if I can put in a good word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, tr- you know, well, well I ho- hopefully, I mean, we've been tracking their engagements. You know, since birth, I, a- absolutely. I actually the my my firstborn son. I was received how old are decision they? letters. I I have a five and a half year old and a two and a half year old. And are they both coding already? I not not yet. Although okay. I the uh, both children have appeared in some of our summit related videos. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I'm, I'm, I want to ask you about privacy, sure. because you collect ungodly amounts of data. And I believe even have been known to sort of cackle uh, mm-hmm. knowingly about the degree to which Slate retains everything. Like it's really, really hard to lose data that goes into into the system. Um, and what, but one of the things that I that I did last um, spring with some colleagues is presented at a conference at our regional um, admissions counselor college um, conference for for. Uh, high school side, you know, CBOs and, and college side folks. And we talked about this topic of demonstrated interest, but used that as an opportunity to sort of show them what Slate looks like. Um, and so it was a room of mainly high school counselors. And I asked them, raise your hand if you've ever seen this before. And that one went up, right? <laughs> so none of them had actually seen what this looked like. We showed them the student record in particular. And, you know, one of the things, I mean, this is like sort of the first thing that pops up when you look at a student in Slate is this little graph of a timeline of little colored dots that represents different forms of, of engagement with the university. Um, and you know, it was really, really interesting for them to kind of see this, and particularly from the, the, the vantage point of this demonstration of interest is concerned. You know, I sit on panels with places like Yale, uh, who, are, who very much say, we do not track demonstrated interest at all. In a lot of the very elite places where the interest is sort of implied, you know, they don't want you to bother them <laughs> with <laughs> requests to do interviews. They're not going to count the number of times you emailed them and, and give you points for that. None of that kind of stuff. But they can see what your activity has sort of been relative to the college. Do you think it's fair now, really, for uh, schools like Yale and University of Chicago and Harvard and you know places like this who use Slate to say we do not track demonstrated interest? Sure. I, I think it certainly will vary based upon the institution. Uh, that some institutions find that if a student visits campus, they are dramatically more likely to yield, to enroll if they are to be admitted. That that's just such a, a pronounced form. I uh, and 
many admissions offices are very upfront with uh, making that clear. Uh, the challenge with any sort of demonstrated interest is uh, you don't want someone to be gaming a particular system, right? Right. Basically, this is what a lot of kids feel like they maybe have the ability to do, is to petition their way in via quantity of demonstrated interest. Yeah, I think a lot of times that will show in Ring Hollow. Uh, if it's too forced in the same way that a student for some institutions, maybe if they are showing that they they think, all right, uh, a college or university loves extracurricular involvement, so I'm going to participate in these 20 different extracurriculars. And it's not purely quantity uh, with any of these types of interactions. There are things that are showing an interest in that uh, coming and visiting campus is a, a good and appropriate thing uh, to do where possible because that's a uh, a way of seeing the institution that you're click, considering. What about clicking and opening emails? Uh, those are oftentimes... We can uh, see the number of times a student opens an individual email. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, a lot of times uh, institutions will be using this in a, a much more aggregated way. Uh, that if you think that an institution's receiving 40,000 applications, uh, and maybe they have a search pool of several hundred thousand people, they're not going to every individual person and caring about or even considering what are their uh, individual clicks or opens. It's much more about this aggregate data too. Uh, that what are their, what emails are they sending are actually more useful uh, to the recipients. You know, we're in the hair splitting business, especially these guys over my shoulder here. You know what I mean? They get 40,000 applications and they admit, you know, 2,000 or something. It's like uh, you've got this really powerful tool. You've got a very powerful tool that's going to help you, you know, make decisions about who to offer these very rare sort of admissions decisions to, um, why wouldn't you use it, right? I mean, because you can say, yeah, you're not going to look at did this student click on that email, but you could put a little score on that. You know, you could you could add a number this, the, to to figure into some sort of broader predictive model to uh, to say if a student clicks on emails more than other students, they're more likely to enroll. Stuff like that, right? I mean, you can get really really micro with this. Right. I the that certainly is a, a possibility uh, from a technology perspective, and indeed there are institutions that take it to different places. So for example, uh, there are institutions that are very actively using predictive modeling uh, and engagement scoring, but to help determine if they have a finite number of view books to whom they should mail them. Uh, and so that it's helping to drive these outreach efforts uh, and that it may not be coming into play at all during the admissions process when they're evaluating an application. There certainly are other schools that employ predictive modeling during an application process uh, because they uh, may have other types of constraints as an institution that they have to hit their target very, very precisely. Which is to say, as students are, decisions are coming in, they have a kind of a real-time look at sort of what their class is shaping up to be, and they can sort of make change decisions to fit with their model. Uh, absolutely, and where there can be uh, this real-time process because it is something that is a, a decision doesn't always exist in a vacuum. Uh, it's in this greater context of what does the overall class look like uh, because they, they want a variety of different types of students and interests uh, to be comprising their class, but that if you think you're building an orchestra, 
for example. You want someone to be playing each instrument mm -hmm. uh, to be represented there. You right. can't just say you're all the best uh, violinists in the world, and then you have a wonderful string uh, section. A massive you don't one. Have something <laughs> a massive string. Yeah, section. it's just like a giant string <laughs> yes. orchestra. That's it. Uh, I would miss. I would miss the horns. Uh, there is a feature called ping. Can you describe that? Sure. Uh, so ping is like Google Analytics, uh, which is on practically every website these days, in that it will record that an access to a particular page is occurring and from where it came. So was it from a Facebook uh, post or was it from a Google search or some sort of a paid advertisement uh, that an institution may have had? So where are they coming? How much time is being spent on a, a particular page and where are they going next? All data points that Google Analytics uh, would be capturing, but something where it helps to extend that further in a way that is being employed by nearly every commercial organization uh, out there as well now, but where those accesses can be correlated back to particular individuals' records. Uh, and so it's now going beyond just this idea that these are very popular pages to say these are very popular pages among students who ultimately end up enrolling, uh, or these are very popular pages for these particular students. And so maybe they have an implicit interest in the athletics that they haven't specifically mentioned, uh, but that because they're spending a lot of time on the athletics department website, this may be uh, an interest uh, that a school can infer. Implicit interest uh, is, an, is an interesting thing. Uh, how far deeply into one's soul one can peer from just uh, how much time they're spending on an athletics department website uh, is unclear. Uh, obviously, uh, an individual is much more than simply clicks and opens. Uh, but that it can be, uh, it can provide additional uh, insights uh, into how to communicate more uh, increasingly relevant uh, information to those uh, individuals. So I don't think a lot of people know about this, you know, and I think that this is one of the things that I found particularly sort of shocking or, or, or surprising when I presented to this to this group of school counselors who didn't really know kind of how Slate worked and, and how ubiquitous it was. You know, do you think that, you know, especially when it comes to ping and sort of tracking people's, you know, activities on websites, schools can turn that off. You know, we can turn that off. But do you think students should have the option to do that, to say, don't track my activities? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's something where the uh, EU has their right to be forgotten uh, legislation. And some of this will evolve with GDPR, which is legislation coming out of the European Union uh, for, for that. Uh, certainly there are browsers options to be able to block different types of cookies uh, as, uh, as part of that as well. Uh, and as you mentioned, it certainly is opt-in for an institution. So there are mechanisms for uh, individuals to pull up an incognito window too. Uh, it's uh, not so dissimilar from the idea that you go to a particular site and you're looking at shoes and now those are appearing for you in all of these different locations. These types of activities really have been become pretty commonplace, uh, uh, certainly throughout the commercial world, mm -hmm. uh, with things and are increasingly utilized by the nonprofit sector as well. Why can't a casual snoop find a list of Slate users anywhere? <laughs> why can't why can't a, a high school counselor figure out uh, all the schools that all the colleges that are that are that are Slate customers? Sure, uh, we've always believed uh, that. 
it's the institution's relationship with their applicants and their school counselors that matters. And so there is no slate or technolutions branding on any public facing institutional page. That is their time and opportunity and place to be promoting their programs and their identity and institution. And that we are a helping with the back office operations, uh, if anything. And so certainly there are uh, students and counselors and parents that are interacting with Slate, but that's not the interaction really that matters. We are a technology provider to that and who they're really interacting with uh, is that institution in the same way that we use Amazon Web Services. Uh, and so one could say that they're interacting with Amazon Web Services at another layer, but yet, and they're, they're not aware of that, but of course they are just another layer in this technology stack. But you can see how the most sort of savvy and, and, and militant uh, counselors out there who are guiding students would would want to know which schools are tracking clicks and web traffic. You know what I mean? Is it just safe to assume that everybody's doing it one way or another, whether they're using Slate or not? Uh, it's it certainly has become quite commonplace. Again, how institutions use it or whether they opt into enabling uh, this type of additional uh, activity engagement tracking uh, really is going to vary based upon the, the institution. Uh, but certainly it has become ubiquitous with nearly every single e-commerce website uh, that's, that's out there that they're, of course, tracking uh, when you put something even into your shopping cart and you leave. That's how they can follow up with an email to say you left these and now offer you a coupon code. Uh, and so this has become uh, much more common practice uh, throughout really almost all types of industries where you have some sort of a, a customer or client or constituent. Mm -hmm. You arguably have one of the or the richest databases of activity around the college admissions process on planet Earth. <laughs> you know, you collect every one and zero that passes sort of through the system. What do you do with that data? All of our agreements with schools make it clear that they own their data. It's not our data. We don't have any rights to it. We uh, respect the, the privacy of their data and none of this data gets uh, sold or used in any commercial type uh, construct. And so it it is very much their, their data. We certainly are sitting on a, a trove of information uh, that is there. Uh, I think it was uh, in 2017, about one and a half billion emails uh, were sent through Slate. Uh, and so it's it touches a great, great many uh, individuals that are, are out there. But those are relationships between a college and university and their, uh, and their community. Don't you use that data to learn about your customers and how they're using your system? Uh, we look at things at a very high level, uh, so we can tell what uh, Slate features are particularly popular uh, with things. And if we, uh, we have a feature request forum uh, within Slate where schools can suggest new types of functionality or enhancements. Uh, and certainly seeing how well utilized particular features are can be a component that goes into that evaluation. Uh, but also just for our own capacity planning, uh, we, we know when emails are likely to be sent out so that we can make sure that we have the infrastructure to be able to support uh, this type of an operation. What's been some of the more, one of the more interesting things that you've learned about how you know, a college is using Slate? It really is that they are 
quite consistently and comprehensively across the board are using Slate to manage absolutely all of their touch points. Uh, it's that they're, it's become much more of an ecosystem uh, within their admissions office. So instead of it being just a tool that was used to read and evaluate applications, it's for this complete process all the way through to registering for orientation events uh, and arriving on campus to many schools even pushing that further into their, their pipeline. Uh, so when uh, students are have arrived on campus, for schools, for colleges and universities that may uh, be thinking a lot more about retention and student success, uh, the idea of feeding certain types of data points back into Slate to help run predictive models so that they can, uh, in communications as well, to help uh, understand better how they can support those students once they arrive on campus so that you don't just admit them and then say, all right, uh, they're here to fend for themselves so that you can truly support them as students uh, on campus. A great lead into the next question I have, which is that um, the University of Rochester in addition to a bunch of other schools, and Yale was on there for a little while, was a design partner with a company called Workday, which is creating a sort of cradle-to-grave solution for colleges, which is to say, starting with you know student prospects all the way through to student employees, you know, so all the complete sort of student information system, you know, everything all comprehensive, you know, the let's say at least leading past or up to the graduation of a student, so it tracks all their activities while they're a student on campus, a degree progress, all that kind of stuff. Tell me about Slate's plan to grow, and is it that the kind of is that the the, the direction you're headed? Sure, yeah, I. What has always resonated with me is this notion of being a jack of all trades and a master of none, uh, in that there are many student information systems out there, uh, and not that many, <laughs> uh, but there are a number. And if you go to any institution and you ask what they're using, it doesn't matter what they say that they're using, they say it with a certain amount of just Ennui. pain <laughs> in their voice. People aren't excited about their student information systems. And you have to It's explore. weird for people to be excited about any, any technology. Fine, you know, fine, fine. So maybe Slate has been unique in that we, we garner a level of excitement that you don't typically see. But when you try to be everything to everyone on campus, you can't be bespoke uh, to the, the needs of uh, individual groups. So how something like admissions on campus operates is very, very different than how uh, a central dean's office may be uh, interacting. Uh, that an admissions office has operates much more like a marketing arm uh, of the institution. That they are uh, that they're dealing with folks that don't yet have a formalized relationship with the university yet. Uh, and so it's a very different type of operation that they have there. Uh, and so while our goal is not to ultimately become the one system that runs absolutely everything in a college or university, I think. Slate would stop being Slate. Uh, and this past year, we introduced Slate for Advancement. Uh, and this right. came out of the... Advancement being the fundraising arm of a university. Exactly, development offices, uh, but can also include alumni relations. Uh, so uh, just as an admissions office deals with folks as they are coming, uh, the advancement office, development, alumni, uh, dealing them with them on the other side. Uh, 
Gemini and being able to similarly allow them to register for events and reunions and make online gifts, but to be able to track those types of engagements uh, as well. Uh, and so that's something that I uh, was introduced uh, this past year. So what else do you have up your sleeve? <laughs> What's next? I mean, I don't want, you know, I'm definitely, I'm not going to steal your probably what will be literal thunder. Uh, at the Slate Summit, you know, you will find a way to control the atmosphere such that it can actually generate real, you know, meteorological thunder. But what are some of the new things or the, the sort of general direction that you planned ahead if it's not going to be uh, jack of all trading? Sure. So certainly continuing to go so much deeper in just everything that we're doing in the admissions and advancement worlds. Uh, and so that touches on everything from communications and being able to, uh, as how uh, schools are communicating out to applicants. For example, when we had introduced social media uh, uh, communications out of Slate, being able to have ever more of those analytics from social come back into Slate, uh, being able to have much more targeted uh, paid promotions that are out there. So many institutions don't do any paid uh, advertising at all. But there are an increasing number of colleges and universities that will do a sponsored post in Facebook or a Google AdWords campaign, something uh, at the top of a, a Google search. Uh, but those platforms have ways of being able to push content to specific people uh, on them so that if you had started an application uh, to a particular institution, maybe now there's a reminder that you're seeing in your newsfeed on Facebook uh, about that. So there are uh, a lot more just uh, evolutions that are occurring within this field in general. And we try to stay very attuned to how people are using different tools out there, different platforms like social, and how we can best support those engagements through Slate. Are there any criticisms that you find valid that you're working on addressing? Sure. Uh, yes. So uh, some of the different types of things that we always are working as a, a company to do is to understand exactly how people are, are using things and how they want to be using things. So for example, when schools are requesting new features or functionality, uh, or they have a particular new type of portal or something that they, they want to build, because we go so much further than a normal organization would on something that it's not we don't get any how do i do this support types of requests uh there are some uh but i've are. absolutely <laughs> submitted some of those That's but, the, but they're not a lot of them okay i so, I'm so many an of them get so much more nuance uh and so we really love the idea of transparency throughout uh, everything. And so one of the things that we will be launching very, very shortly uh, is a new request tracking system for our engagements with schools. So that as they have different types of ideas for things or particular requests, be it even a, a troubleshooting to try to unearth how something is uh, occurring, ways for them to see exactly where it is within our process and who's working on it and what are particular expected uh, times for something because is a data integration going to take uh, longer than just a, a response to a particular question? I mean, of course it will. But being able to show so much more data uh, about things. So that's one where I think that there is always uh, a, a utility in setting ever better expectations and providing just greater transparency into what's going on in a, a process. 
Ever better, by the way, the uh, English translation of the University of Rochester's motto, Meliora, nicely done. <laughs> Dropping that in there, Alexander. I'm reading a book now. It's called Demographics and the Demand for Higher Education. It's by a guy named Nathan D. Graw. He's a professor at Carleton College. And one of the things that he has mentioned in here, it's a very short book. As you can see, it's not a massive book because basically the lesson here is pretty clear. And that is the demand is sort of is extremely complicated in that <clears throat> we're experiencing, uh, you know, a, a crested wave of uh, population growth in this country. One of the things that he says right at the outset is that um, during the recession, the great one, of course, uh, that uh, fertility rates in this country dropped 13% in five years. Mm -hmm. So there is, at least in terms of just a raw number of humans in this country looking to go to college, it's going to go down. And we could, we've, you know, our whole model as colleges has been, you know, and as, you know, presidents and trustees whipping my boss into, into trying to continue to do this has been raise the number of applications every single year, increase what appears to be demand. And it's one of the things that, that, that has driven the, the, the chaos around um, selectivity in this country, which is that schools look more selective because they're saying no to more people because they're getting more applications, in part because of demographics, in part because the Common App made it easier for a bunch of different reasons. But how are you paying attention to the fact that, you know, this, this issue is, is a sort of a big friggin' deal that a lot of us are going to be having to pay attention to? Sure. It's uh, certainly it's a boom time uh, in the world of college admissions. Uh, but we're also seeing that uh, among colleges and universities that they are continuing to draw increasing numbers every year internationally, uh, that there are markets outside of the United States that are well, it's going to be a lot harder for them to, you know, access the system now, Alexander. Now the Naviance is, uh, you know, going uh the way the dodo there internationally. Yes, although uh, there certainly are institutions, uh, high schools out there that did not use Naviance they as well. They will find a way. Uh, and so they, they certainly have other opportunities to uh, help their students uh, get to uh, college uh, in the States. Uh, but something where, yes, they're, they're any sort of an exponential growth uh, ultimately has to stabilize. Uh, that's that's in there. And does that create certain challenges for very tuition-dependent schools that uh, have had increasing discount rates so that they're, they're just squeaking by? Uh, and indeed, we've seen just over the, the past number of years alone, uh, a number of institutions have to uh, recalibrate uh, how they they do things or schools that went under only to be rebirthed. How are uh, you recalibrating? Well, it's one where uh, just as uh, we look at things, uh, we started working with many of these schools at a point where they had a fraction of the number of applications that they do today. And so if there is some equalization uh, out there and their numbers return uh, to something that they were five years ago, 10 years ago, that's not a bad thing. That's perfectly fine. Uh, if anything, it perhaps allows those institutions to have even more time with the applications. Alexander, the you're missing the point. This is going to wreak <laughs> havoc with the US News and World Report. You know, I mean, how, how the hell are, are we supposed to d demonstrate our selectivity? Yeah. It's, well, but that's even something too where yield has been an interesting 
counterbalance uh, to that because you're right there there have been uh, institutions that were on the quest just to add more and more and more applications because you're right that if you do that and you deny a lot of those then you can uh, help to lower that admit rate and all of a sudden you've increased your the surface value of your prestige uh, and the utility that's uh, being delivered but then sometimes your yield falls off as as well and so that's been a little bit of a check there uh, but certainly the institutions with which we're we're working I I do believe them when they say that they they continue to care very much about fit uh, that they continue to get a lot of applications and that that sometimes makes it harder to get through all of that to uh, find the folks that really are the appropriate fit but it's something that which is schools is, try is, very valiantly yeah I mean this is something that that, that Slate arguably uh, helps to sort of provide a shortcut there, doesn't it? Right. You know, in terms of sifting through the yeah. mountain of applications and finding the ones that are actually a fit and are interested. Right. And that's what ultimately you have to do is that when you have that quantity of applications and people with whom you're interacting, you can't just rely upon your own memory or notes that you put on the back of a note card uh, to serve as a memory jog. You have to have some technology to uh, help keep track of all that because ultimately that's what every school really wants to be achieving. It's not that they you want a, a student to be uh, uh, selecting them if it's not going to be the right fit for them. they And that's even where this retention piece comes in too. That if a student transfers out of that institution, that's not necessarily in the overall best interests of the, the institution either. And so they, they genuinely do want as part of admissions to be finding uh, the students that are going to be a, a good match. Well, uh, I think that, you know, you touched on something that's really important. I mean, I th this is something that, you know, a lot of us in, and I should say, we are basically talking, you and I here, about undergraduate admissions, even though Slate provides services to graduate admissions, medical schools, schools of nursing, educate, and so on and so forth, right. schools of business. But, um, you know, that this is a big concern of ours, and, and it has become, you know, fortunately, uh, a, a big topic for conversation in our field, which is not just... Um, access, which is to say getting into college, but success, which is getting out of college successfully. And I know you're not trying to, you know, expand and become a jack of all trades and get into student information systems and everything, but I will say that I think if you could do a really good, awesome public service to the extent that your, you know, technology can affect the concept of success at all for students who are maybe coming from backgrounds where they have not, they don't have a history of, of family members having gone to college, they have no idea what they're getting into, um, you know, students who are the first in their family to go to college, students who are underrepresented minorities, students who are poor, these are all groups who are much less likely to A, get admitted and B, graduate um, in four years, let alone six years. You know, um, one of the guests on this podcast, Doug Weber, talked about the dangers of graduating. It was either Doug Weber or, or Ben Kassman talking about the danger of graduating, uh, of not graduating with debt, right? That it is, your student is 10 times more likely to, to default on a loan of $5,000 or less than they are of a loan of $100,000. Um, so getting students out the door successfully and the extent to which Slate could 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 impact that would be, a, a, I think, a, a massive win for this country. 
Sure. Yeah, we we love working with organizations like Westbridge that are nonprofit organizations that help low-income students have greater access to higher education that they might be from a rural town in Michigan and the first person in their town to even consider applying to college. And that Questbridge as a nonprofit organization has worked with uh, several dozen colleges and universities to give those students uh, a path that allows them to best represent sort of who they are and all of the other factors uh, that influence that may be influencing to their candidacy or the college board uh, with their economic context dashboard uh, that they this is something that podcast guest Michael Bassito is working on with the college board the uh, this this um, this context dashboard right to help uh, people that are reading files understand the environment from which students are coming absolutely because there are so many factors that are outside of an individual's control and just by the their particular socioeconomic circumstances. Well, what's Slate going to do about it? Uh, well, we actually have a direct integration with the College Board's uh, uh, economic uh, uh, context dashboard uh, within Slate where the schools that are, are So that's going to happen? Oh, yes. Schools are live with it. Uh, the College Board has a number of uh, beta schools that are doing this within Slate where as you pull up a particular uh, application, you can then go to an environmental context dashboard and see uh, a number of different types of data points that they have put together, but that are unique to that particular school that the student is attending and their neighborhood where they live. Right, like census tract, you know, American Community Survey data, stuff like that Uh, goes into it. Exactly, as well as their own uh, SAT uh, data. Right. So that, I mean, for instance, it's something to say that, you know, a student got, you know, a 1300 on their SAT out of 1600 is another thing to say that they're 1300 on their SAT, but they're the first in their family to go to college. They're an underrepresented minority and they come from a, a low income household. Understanding I, that context raises that score in your mind quite a bit. I, a, absolutely. And uh, it's more information. And that translates to, to the helpful. rest, not just yes. SAT scores. Uh, and so they're certainly achieving student success is a a very multi-pronged approach. Uh, There's so many different types of factors from having just sufficient on-campus resources and ambassadors to uh, help those students that may be coming from uh, backgrounds that they have so many external influences that may be trying to draw them uh, back because they are caring for a parent or they are needing to send money back. And so these are things that I can create uh, so many challenges for that individual, and it's amazing the and just breathtaking the the, the grit that has uh, been shown by so many first generation students uh, that are there. And so I think that yes, colleges absolutely can always be doing more uh, to help ensure that the success of those. And so it's something where uh, certainly as an organization, we would be a very willing participant in anything that helps to improve access to higher education and to help improve the outcomes of uh, higher education as well. Outstanding. We're happy to have you on that team. Um, You're uniquely situated to really make an impact. And so I look forward to watching that happen. You've been really generous with your time. Um, you've got an empire to run. Uh, you've got a light, a, a giant sign to, to switch on soon enough, uh, top of the building. Anything else uh, before we before I let you get back to? Uh, well, thank you so much. Hurry. This has been an absolute pleasure. I uh, and I certainly look 
forward to uh, continuing to work with so many in this community. Thanks, Alexander. And I just I will say, I mean, I have a list of demands of my own here, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hit you with those later. Um, thanks a million. Wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you. A huge thanks to Alexander for being very generous with his highly coveted time to talk to me and for his patience as I pulled this together. So this is a very different kind of company, right? They offer these big free products. They're adamant not to uh, not to sell the company to anyone. And as he said, doing what's right is more important than what is profitable. So maybe we can feel a little easy about the fact that it's these guys running the show instead of others with different motives. I think a lot of us have reason to be leery about a company's motives. So stay skeptical, but um, so far so good, it seems. There is this question about privacy, and he mentioned the European Union uh, on May 25th implemented the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, which grants EU citizens certain rights over their data that may really affect a lot of Slate's power, at least in those countries, and it'll be interesting to see the degree to which um, those kinds of regulations trickle into the uh, American landscape if they do. I'm curious to know what changes Slate users have had to make, Uh, so if you're one of them and you're listening, send me a note. I've thought that understanding what Slate can do, reckoning with its its sort of awesome power, fully unleashed or not, and particularly within the realm of demonstrated interest, might generate despair among those in the business of guiding students, which is now my business. But before we start telling students to open every email and spend as much time as possible on admissions websites and click on every email as many times as possible, like that one time that Homer caused the, the nuclear meltdown with the little drinking bird thing that he set up to just sort of hit the, the enter key as he wore his moo. You guys remember this? So before we, we, we freak out and start telling people that, I would say this. My guess is that most offices may have bought a Ferrari here but are still using it to take the kids to soccer practice. Right? That will definitely change, though. Here's as good a time as any to remind people that most kids do not go to college via a competitive process that looks at any of this stuff. But still, it's the world I know best. In this landscape, everyone is trying to find an edge to make sense of the mountains of data produced by mountains of applications so that we can make the best offers to the right students. And if you find your blood pressure rising, still for one reason or another, take some comfort in this quote from the Wu-Tang Manual, written by its founding father, the RZA, something I am positive Temple professor Sarah Goldrick Rabb has read. And it says, in hip-hop, you must master the technology. If you don't, you're dependent. Either you're a slave to the technology itself or to the people you need to run it for you. Whenever you can, you should make sure that you're the one in the driver's seat. So it's this tenet of the Wu-Tang philosophy that motivates me to bring this episode to you today. I think it's important to understand the technology that governs our lives to the extent that we can. And uh, here in the admissions world, this is a pretty big one. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. Again, so easy. And don't forget to get your first graders into coding classes ASAP, right? You just never really know how it will shake out. All right, guys, thanks again. Spread love.